Welcome to the Torah Journey Podcast. My name is Rabbi Ken Brodkin, and I've been a community rabbi for over 15 years. During that time, I've learned that the wisdom of Judaism is powerful, but it's not always easy to understand. Our weekly podcast will enrich your journey and give you practical advice about how to apply the wisdom of Judaism to your life. We'll offer you insights based on the Parsha, current events, the Jewish year, and more. This is the Torah Journey Podcast. Hey, I'm really excited to be back with you this week. We had some ice storms and some power outages last week here in Portland. It had a pretty big effect on life. I managed to miss our weekly podcast, and then I was just thinking about how much I wanted to come back and connect with you. I woke up last Monday morning, and we had no power, no heat. Our whole world was just covered with ice. It was one of those days where you say, why is this happening? And I think there's a lot of times in life where things don't go the way we meant for them to go, and, and sometimes it can sting. I remember a couple years ago, I was on a vacation with my wife, and we had just gotten a bid on our Shoals construction project for the building. We realized the project cost was way too high, and there was just no way I could see how we're going to move forward with this very needed building. And we, of course, invested so much time and money. And we're going for a walk, and my wife looks at me and says, It's okay. Hashem is going to show you and the congregation a way forward. And, and she was right. And now we're on a new path and feeling very hopeful about delivering our community the building we need. And perhaps it's even a better path than we originally planned. Just last week, I was working on an article trying to get it published, and it got rejected. I don't know about you, but when I put a lot of time into something and it feels like it's not working out, my instinct is to feel stung or dejected. And I might feel like, where is God in my life? And it's so easy to get caught up in that moment and miss the big picture of our lives. How do we transcend those moments? Purim is the time to think about this because Purim is all about seeing that big picture. The big picture of the Jewish people, of human history, or the big picture of our personal lives. Purim teaches us to look at the whole Megillah. And I think that's particularly important today, because we're about to observe Purim, and for a lot of us, it's going to be different than in past years, especially for those of us who were not in lockdown last year. For our community here in Portland, it was so amazing. We had a, a block party last year, and Dancing at the Shoal, honestly, one of my most favorite moments in the whole year is that dancing as, as Purim ends. And this year, it's, it's going to be different. A lot of us are going to be at home and perhaps even by ourselves. And a lot of people are feeling weary of the virus restrictions. So how do we connect to the big picture of Purim, and especially at a time like this? When we go through a challenge... It's natural to feel bereft and bewildered. And yet there's something much bigger that's happening than just the immediate details that we're in right now. There's the whole Megillah of our life. The Megillah, the book of Esther, comes at the end of Tanakh, and it's really all about getting back to that big picture. Now, in the big picture of Torah, Klai Israel, the Jewish people are a nation with an eternal relationship with God. And the Jewish people crossed the Jordan. They built the base of Mikdash. Okay, it wasn't quite that simple, but you know what I mean. And eventually there was sin and destruction. And the Jewish people were exiled to Bavel. And then Babylonia fell. And Madai Persia takes the reins. 
Most of the Jews now are, are in Shushan, and a terrible enemy, Haman, arises and decrees destruction for our people. How did it feel in that time? What was it like to be Jewish? The Jews must have been asking, do we still have a relationship with Hashem? Now, within the Megillah itself, the details are, are tantalizing. It's like, how can this be happening? And the Jews find out about the decree. And the Megillah says that the city of Shushan was, Nevocha was bewildered. And so the Megillah takes place in this huge context of history. But in the moment, it seemed so bleak. In his commentary in the Megillah, the Vilna Gon teaches us that the Megillah points to a timeless lesson. As we read the Megillah, there is an evil decree, and eventually the Jewish people are delivered. But, says the Vilna Gon, the underlying theme is that there's all these random events taking place. Mordechai and Esther just happen to be in Shushan, and Vashti gets tossed out of the kingship, and so on and so on. And we have this combination of politics and blind luck and fate, and it all spells the saving of the Jewish people. And when all you look at is each little detail in the Megillah, it's hard to appreciate. But when you stand back, all the details are pointing in one direction. And the, the Vilna Gon quotes a, a well-known Gemara in, in Chulin. The Talmud asks, Esther min Torah minayin. Where do we find Esther in the Torah? And the Gemara answers by writing that her name is alluded to in a verse with a couple words that sound a lot like Esther. The Torah in Devarim says, haster astir panai Hashem says, I'll surely hide my face on that day. And the Vilna Gon probes deeply. Why He asks, why would the Gemara be looking for a hint to Esther? There's a lot of tzaddikim in, in history. Who says we need to find a hint in a verse for someone in the Torah? And the Vilna Gon posits that the Gemara is asking a deeper question. Where do we find in the Torah a source for a life for a person like Esther? How do we know from the Torah that even in times of hiddenness, that God will perform miracles, that he will still be with us as he was in the times of Esther? And the answer lies in this verse. Anochi haster astir panai biyomahu. I will hide my face in that day, and there will be painful concealment. When you're dejected in exile, and even still, Hashem will reveal his face. Hashem is with us even in times of concealment. And the Vilna Gon adds that the greatness of Mordecai and Esther is that they lived through this, and they recognized that what was happening was a miracle. All this whole Purim story happened over nine years, nine long years. It would be so easy to see it all as, ah, that's the way of the world. But Mordecai and Esther stood back and they saw this bigger picture, which is exactly why they instituted Purim. The book of Esther is a unique sefer in Tanakh. It's a unique book. Its way of speaking is subtle and it conveys a unique message. It's well known that the name of God never appears explicitly in the Megillah. It seems like it's taken to a ridiculous de de uh, degree. Take a look at the conversation between Mordecai and Esther. Mordecai 
is conveying the gravity and the urgency of the moment. Esther says maybe she should delay going to Achishverosh until she's called by name. And Mordecai tells her, do not imagine to yourself that you will escape in the king's palace any more than the rest of the Jews. Because if you persist in keeping silent at a time like this, relief and deliverance will come to the Jews from some other place while you and your father's household will perish. Who knows if you've reached the royalty for a time like this? Esther pledges to go to the king, but not without commanding Mordechai to gather the people for three days of fasting. Why does Esther insist the people fast? The verse makes no mention of prayer, of God, of repentance, all of which are central to the biblical idea of fasting. But then again, what did Mordechai mean when he said, who knows if you've reached royalty for a time like this? And he tells her that deliverance will come from another place. He doesn't say a word about God. And yet, here's the beauty. There's an unspoken truth. The hand of God is unspoken, but it's present. The hand of God has brought Esther to the palace. And the days of fasting are days of calling out to Hashem. And that hand is subtle, and it's unspoken. And only when you stand back from the whole Megillah do you see that hand guiding the whole story that unfolds before you. And this is also the message of a verse that we quote every week at Havdalah. The Megillah concludes the redemption saying that there'll be ora, v'simcha, v'sason, yikar. There was light and gladness and joy and honor for the Jews. What does it mean that there was light? What is light in Tanakh? And we know that throughout the Bible, light is God's face. God's face is Hashem appearing to us, showing us the light of his countenance, showing us that we have a living connection with the king. That's what ultimately came to the Jewish people through the Megillah. Recently, I was listening to a a podcast with with an atheist by the name of Craig Biddle, and he was talking about the basis of his ethics, and it was very fascinating. On the one hand, his ethics are based on the writings of a 1950s philosopher, Ayn Rand, And on the other hand, this atheist just so happens to be the son of an Episcopalian minister. But he claims that Rand's morality and her ethics are self-evident, based on on logic and facts. I guess the question is, why did it take to the 1950s to come up with it? It was so self-evident. But Biddle says that he sees no evidence in the world for a transcendental creator. And I can understand that in the moment to moment. It's hard to see that evidence, and that's really what the Megillah is about. There is no mention of God. It's not explicit. It's hard to see. But is it a secular book? Is the Megillah a deviation from the rest of the Bible? Far from it. The entirety of the Megillah spells nothing but God's name. In the big picture of creation and history, evidence for the Creator abounds. We have to stand back and we have to see that bigger picture, whether it's looking at the Megillah or looking at the story of your own life. And that's the bigger picture that the prophets spoke about. In the end of history, 
it will be revealed that Hashem is one and His name is one. In the end of time, we'll discover that everything on this earth was leading us to that realization, Hashem Echad, that God is one. And it's the idea conveyed in the name of the day, Purim. The Chag is named in commemoration of the poor, the lottery that Haman established. He made a lottery to choose the 13th of Adar to destroy Israel. The message couldn't be clear. What seems like a lottery is an orchestrated redemption, no less miraculous than the Exodus itself. And so if you ever feel like your life is a lottery, stand back and remember the Megillah. And it doesn't stop there. Because Mordecai and Esther don't just teach us that lesson. They give us concrete steps to make this lesson part of our lives. The Megillah establishes four concrete mitzvot to express the ideas of the Megillah. Just consider the four mitzvot of this day. Mikra Megillah, we read the Megillah, publicizing the miracle in word. Mishloach Manot, secondly, we express our brotherly and our sisterly connection, sharing portions with our friends. Third, Matanot Levionim, we express God's attribute of kindness by bestowing life, giving funds to people in need. And fourth, and finally, the Suda, we celebrate, we express gratitude to Hashem in a festive meal. The essence of Judaism is that once we see these big ideas, they don't just stay ideas. They become concrete actions in our lives. And that's where we come back to Purim 2021. It'd be so easy to think, man, what's God doing to us? Where's that block party or the community getting together for the spiel or the dancing? How do we make Purim meaningful if it's not like past years? And the answer is that we jump right in here and now with what we have. On a practical level, I recommend hearing the Megillah in person because the consensus of halacha is that we should hear a live reading. And beyond that, we just have to jump right into the mitzvot. Imagine if you wanted to get in shape. You've got to start exercising and doing something even if you're an amateur. Someday you'll be an exercise guru. But start right now, today, exercising with what you have and what you know. It's the same with Judaism. Listen to the Megillah. Talk to your children about it. Make a suda, go that extra mile to have a nice piece of meat and a delicious bottle of wine, play Pura music, deliver Mishloch Manot to people who you're friends with or where your friendships might be suffering. Who knows? Maybe this is the bigger picture of our Purim this year. Throughout our times, we're becoming more resourceful and doing more things on our own. And of course, community and shul are so core to our Judaism. But we have to seize the moment that we're in. I remember growing up in Leominster, Massachusetts. It wasn't a bastion of Judaism by any means. I had a friend down the block, and he and he'd make Shabbos lunch with his father every week. It was nothing major, but my friend and I would get together in high school. We, we, we just did with what we had. and We didn't know everything, but it just made a huge impression on my life to do that, to have that Shabbos meal every week. And the people around you are relying on you for who you are, your family, your poor neighbors, your friends. You really can lift up another person, taking them to Mishloch Manot or just making a phone call. And so let's jump right into Purim in the here and now with whatever we have. Someday we'll look back and we'll understand the whole Megillah. And when we do that, we'll be bound to understand that this Purim was leading us to a great realization.
time we will know that Hashem is one and his name is one. I'm Rabbi Ken Brodkin, and this is the Torah Journey Podcast.